The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. The scripture reading for this morning is from Philippians 2, 19-30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Ephroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may, may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. If you're just joining us in our study of Philippians, we've worked through some of the greatest passages, not only in Philippians of the New Testament, but really the whole Bible. I mean, we've said, for it has been granted to you not only to believe on him, but to suffer for his sake. We've said, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, but consider him who endured so, such opposition. We've said things like, he who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Nothing. We've heard, now shine like stars in the night. All of these powerful passages that many of you may have read or or memorized as children, these amazing, thunderous truths that Jesus came out of humility and served and sacrificed. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of this sort of beautiful two chapters, truth after truth, he's like, oh, by the way, I'm going to send Timothy, but I can't send him yet. I'm going to come too, but I can't come yet. And hey, since neither one of us can come, I'm going to send you Epaphroditus. It feels a little lightweight. It feels a little like, uh, okay, can you get back to that Jesus stuff? But Paul knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly why he's placed it, placed it in there. You see, what happens is, is that when you see Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, he knows the instinct of a Christian is to say, there is no way I can keep up with all that. There is no way that I can be blameless and pure in a crooked generation. There is no way that I can shine like a star. And so Paul is taking the beautiful realities found in Jesus and he's saying, here, look, there are two guys you already know who are doing this. He's making what is beautiful in Jesus real to us in these models of gospel living. So would you pray with me? And we'll dive in and study them. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? I thank you and I praise you for your word and your Holy Spirit. And I ask that in these few moments you would bless us 
that we might be transformed by the Holy Spirit. We are so aware of how much we need you. There are those of us who are suffering from addictions and suffering from depression and anxiety, suffering from marital struggles. Those who are looking for work and can't find it. Those who are feeling lonely and don't know where to begin. All of these things, God, we, your people, believe that you take care of us and we ask that we would leave here today feeling it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When Erin was little, she would follow very closely uh, Princess Diana. It was such a powerful story for her as a little girl because she was a teacher and she had become into royalty. And the, the beauty of something simple, something normal, something everyday had been launched into what was not normal, royalty. And to watch this person transition their life was just phenomenal, not just for Aaron, but for many people. But as Princess Diana lived and experienced wealth and fame and attention, it was evident that it was bearing heavy on her. That it was difficult that trying to raise sons in a world that was this broken with this much attention, she didn't know how to handle it. And eventually she ended up meeting with Mother Teresa. And she's explaining how she can't quite hold it all together. The fame and the attention and, and the power, the pressures of being a mom and trying to raise sons in a world like this. And she looked at Mother Teresa and she said, I just can't keep my life from falling apart again and again. What should I do? And Mother Teresa looked at her and simply said, go and serve somebody. Go and serve somebody. The words might seem a little abrupt. They might seem a little insensitive. But what Mother Teresa was trying to model for her is that if we let our lives become absorbed with our own problems, our own difficulties, our own sufferings, they will zoom us into a level that our own lives can't bear the weight of the pressure. Mother Teresa was saying, if you zoom out and let your life be about helping other people with their problems, then your life will find the right equilibrium. And Paul is saying something very close to that. He's saying the Philippian church, they, they've been under duress. They've been picked at from the outside. They've been stressed on the inside because there's a couple of disagreements going on in the church and the people are beginning to to choose sides. And they've sent Epaphroditus to come and minister to Paul, and they've been worried about Epaphroditus because they heard he got sick. And so all of this is going on, and it's just focusing on themselves, what they're struggling with, whose side they're going to be on, what their problem is. We want Paul to come back. We want Tim Whoa. Timothy to come back. And ultimately, Paul zooms them back out and reminds them Reminds them that real life is not in focused on our sin or our suffering, but on the sake and for the sake of others. That's what he'll point us to this morning. What does it look like when a, an average everyday person begins to live as a model of a Christ follower? First of all, the thing that we see is that that person's life begins to become about sacrifice. 
sacrifice. This trip that Epaphroditus had taken was 800-mile trip. 800-mile trip. They'd sent Epaphroditus to come. They said, we want to make sure that Paul's doing okay in jail. Paul's doing okay in prison. They wouldn't feed them. They wouldn't care for their medical wounds. So you had to send other people to go and do that. And so Paul is being ministered to by Epaphroditus, but Epaphroditus gets sick and almost dies. But he's willing to make this 800-mile trip because he realizes that Christianity and following Jesus is not about himself and his problems and his comfort. It's about loving others well. That's the other-centered living you hear too and about Timothy. He says, I have no one else like him. He takes a genuine interest in your welfare. No one else like him because he takes a genuine interest in your welfare. If you go back to Philippians 2, 3, and 4, that's what he's talking about. He's saying basically that Timothy is the embodiment of this other-centered living, not considering himself more, but serving others instead. And that Timothy is actually embodying what he's calling for because Timothy is living sacrificially. Timothy is living for the others to thrive. The reason that I tell you that, the reason that Paul is communicating to us is that two things can zoom you in on your own life so much that you can barely hear anything else. One is our sin and one is our suffering. If you are battling with your sin, you will go, oh my goodness, this thing I'm supposed to have defeated by now, but I keep coming back to it. And, and now look at its impact and I've got to try harder. Okay, I'm going to try harder. Oh, look, I failed. Now I, oh man, I hate myself. I can't get over this. Why can't I get better at this? Have I changed it all? And you hear it, don't you? Me, me, me. What feels so spiritual is self-loathing and beating up on ourselves is ultimately just zooming you in to a level where all of Christianity for you is about you. And it's not just sin. It's suffering too. Suffering, this sense of this wound that I've borne, it's so heavy, it's so uh, long-lasting, and, and why do I have to suffer like this? And why can't more people help me? And why hasn't the church done better by me? And, and when is this ever going to stop? And why doesn't God give me a break? And you see it. Did you hear it? It's me, me, me. And what Paul is saying is that two very significant things can dominate your vision for Christ following. Your own sin and battling with it and your own personal suffering. That's what's happening in Philippi. Is that they're concerned with why they can't have Paul come visit, why they can't have Timothy come visit. They're a church and they need help and, and they're not getting what they want and they're also battling with their own sin of deciding who's right in their church and who's wrong. And they're zooming in so close on their own suffering and their own sin that they can't really see the fact that they're missing the point of Christianity. They're missing the point of godly, godly living, which is other-centered. Other-centered even Albert Einstein once said, only a life lived for others is a life worthwhile. Other-centered living. It's a famous quote to say, humility is not thinking less of self, but thinking of self less. Not thinking less of self, beating up on yourself, but just thinking of self less. That's what Timothy's doing. That's what Epaphroditus is doing. That's what Paul is doing, is their own problems, their own struggles, 
are secondary to them of loving others well. When you grow into maturity and following Jesus, it's not that you'll be impressed that you're getting better at fighting sin or you'll be impressed at your repentance or that you'll be impressed in the gifts, the spiritual gifts that you have. You won't even notice it because your time and your mind will be consumed less with self. Self drifts to the background in a godly life. You see Timothy, Paul, and Epaphroditus also do this. You also see this familial relationship grow between them. He says that in the passage, he says that Timothy is like a son to him. He calls Epaphroditus like a brother to him. Remember, Paul used to kill Christians for a living, and now these people who have become so special to him are closer than his even blood relatives, that there's something sweet and sacred about the fact that they have walked the path of Christianity together. Many of you know that I have identical twins as my fourth and fifth children, two boys, Connor and Cohen. And it is so fascinating watching people with identical DNA grow up with such different personalities. But one of the things that Aaron and I want to do for them is to continue to have them support and develop their friendship together. And so we'll say, Connor, who's your best friend? And he'll say, Cohen, Coco. Say, Cohen, who's your best friend? Connell. We'll say, who's your twin? Coco, Connell. Because we want them to appreciate the significance of this relationship that they have that is so special. That is what is true of one of them is true of the other. And ultimately, that's what Paul is saying. He's modeling it in Timothy and Epaphroditus, but he's saying it to us. He's saying what you have in common, friends, is more important than what you have different. What is true when one of you hurts is that the rest of you hurt with them. When one of you joys and rejoices, the rest of you get to rejoice together. That's actually a a beautiful picture for how the church is supposed to look. It's how we make it through tragedies. Is that not just one bear it, but all bear it. How we make it through victories as a church is that we all get to experience it together. Even when we're not winning personally, we see that we are together making progress corporately. So what I'm asking you is, who in this church are you near enough to bear their burdens? Who in this Church, are you near enough to celebrate their wins as if it were your own? Who are you looking up to? Being reminded that you're grateful for where God has brought you and you're excited to see Him do even more. So you see this godly life that Paul is laying out for us is an other-centered living of service to others. And you also see that as we develop as a church family, we begin to bear each other's burdens, that there's this relationship that becomes more like family than it is like friendship. And any of you who have been with us since last October know that we are a family. Knowing that we have borne each other's burdens and we have wept at one another's sides. And that Paul's saying it's supposed to be like that. Other-centered living deepening familial relationships. And what it is 
Paul is modeling for them, what should they focus on? What should they, their attitude be like? You see, he calls Epaphroditus a worker and a soldier. He's saying to him essentially this, and I know this is difficult to follow, but listen closely. He's saying, I want to come, but I can't come. Timothy's the best we got, and I want to send him to you, but I'm not going to send him to you. And so you need to do a good job of welcoming Epaphroditus home. You have to look closely to see what's going on. Why is he building it up? I want to come, but I can't come. I want to send you Timothy, but I can't send you Timothy. So I'm going to send you Epaphroditus instead. Well, essentially what it is, is it's what I experienced as an intern in 2008 when I was an intern under Joe Novenson, who's this incredible pastor in the city. And he would take me on trips to the hospitals to pray for people. And I would get to watch him and just a peace rush over people who were scared about being in the hospital. But when Joe was in the room, they would feel more relaxed. And every once in a while, when he couldn't go, he would send me, his intern, into the room by myself. And I would show up to these people and I'd be like, hey, it's so good to see you. And they'd be like, it's great to see you too, Jared. Where's Joe? (laughs) Well, thank you. This sense of, we're glad you're here and you're a fine little chap, but we want the real deal. And that's what the church at Philippi is saying is, that's great. We already know Epaphroditus. We're the one who sent him to you. And now you're giving him back. We need real encouragement, Paul. We need the varsity team. We need the big boys. Give us Paul. Give us Timothy. And he's saying, you welcome him as a brother with joy. Don't you insult Epaphroditus like this. The reason that I tell you that story is because we do the exact same thing. We look at the little ways in which God is providing for us in the six inches in front of our face, the small encouragements, the kind pats on the back, the sweet coffee with the friend who validates you in your discouragement, the meal that someone brings to you when you're overwhelmed. We look at this and we say, yeah, 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 that's all fine and good, but we want something big. We want God to take away all our problems meet all our needs right now. And what Paul is telling them is they're missing the small, beautiful things that God is using to sustain them because they're waiting on something that he hasn't promised yet. How does that relate in your life? What are the huge, monstrous things that you focus on that if you think, if I just had this, all my other problems are going away? When you're missing the daily bread that he gives you, through this church and through others. We want something more interesting, more glamorous. But most of Christianity is in the receiving of Epaphroditus, not in the grand arrival of Timothy and Paul. Most of Christianity is in the receiving of Epaphroditus, not in the grand arrival of Timothy and Paul. Where are the areas in your life where God is meeting your need, but you're missing it? You're missing it. Maybe you're begging for this sense of fixed or healed health, and you're missing all the people who are trying to encourage you and pat you on the back. You're looking for this better job, this better financial situation, and you're missing all the ways in which God is meeting your needs, and you'd never notice it if you had all of the finances in the world. What are the things that you set your hopes on to be the rescue piece of your life? And it's causing you to miss the fact that God gives his people daily bread. 
modeling Christ, modeling Timothy and Epaphroditus, who argues for us to have an other-centered godliness. The self fades away into the background. Jesus and serving him fades to the foreground, or comes to the foreground. That as our church develops, that we become to develop such friends where we can help bear burdens and help double joys. And then for us to be the kind of church who looks not for the silver bullet, but always grateful for the small ways. Grateful that we have a staff that can lead us in worship. Grateful that we have 20 people joining the church in the midst of a pandemic. Grateful that we've been largely healthy through this difficult time. Grateful that we're still going, we're still moving. What are the things in your life that you need to be grateful for instead of waiting on the silver bullet? Back to Princess Diana. She has so much attention, wealth, power in some sense. And it can't feel right. It can't be healthy. It can't feel whole anymore. And so Mother Teresa, who's given her life away to the poorest of the poor, says real life is not about this sense of becoming whole self. Real life is in giving away yourself for others. It's what Paul wants for the church at Philippi. It's what I want for us. That we won't be healthy because we feel so good about ourselves and our numbers are strong and our giving is strong and our, our programs are strong is that we'll feel strong because we exist for the sake of our non-members. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you that real godliness isn't about self at all. We thank you that you take friends and turn them into family. We thank you that you meet our needs with daily bread when sometimes we are asking for so much more. And pray that you would shape us as a church to be sacrificial and humble and other-centered and connected together. And that we would be grateful for even the daily bread meals. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.